Hey everybody, welcome to NGF News. Uh, we have our first video recording coming on today, so check us out on YouTube. If you're watching this, obviously you can see it on YouTube. But uh, this is our season two, episode two, or episode three, well two of LGDs, but episode three in the technical terms. Um, and today we're going to be discussing Germany recently supporting African Union's bid to join the G20 and the Wagner Group's uh, coup. And does Putin really have full control over Russia? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, these are some fantastic topics uh, to talk about. Um, just a heads up, I am in a third world country, so the internet connection might not be the best. And our <laughs> video quality might not be good as well, but we'll make, we'll make it work. Um, so we're going to dive straight into the African Union uh, wanting to join the G20. Um, this might not have been in the news often, uh, but the African Union does want to join the G20 and make it the G21. Um, but before we get into the African Union part, just to go over some basic uh, facts about G20, um, it's an inter intergovernmental group made of 19 countries and plus the EU, which makes it 20 uh, members uh, of this intergovernmental forum, is what they call it. And in this forum, they talk about major issues like economic, climate change, and uh, sustainable development. Um, and African Union wants a piece of this. They want to be the next EU, and they want to make it G21. Um, right now, South Africa is the only African country in the G20. Um, and even then, it, it has some trouble because South Africa alone has to represent the entirety of the African continent while also trying to protect its own interests as well in G20. So having the African Union in G20 would make it much easier for the African countries to voice their opinions um, to discuss uh, the economy and sustainable development. Yeah. And so in December of, I think, 2022, I believe that the United States also supported a bid to uh, for the African Union to join the G20. And then recently, Germany has supported their bid to join the G20. And so this is a very big sign from Western powers and all the world's powers that they really want Africa to join in on the world stage. Um, Africa, as we know, is a very large developing area. By 2050, they're going to have a population of just over 2 billion and their economies are exploding. We're going to see Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, and many others join the billion-dollar revenue uh, GDP club. And some are going to join the trillion-dollar GDP, GDP club in just a few years. It's an explosive economy that's just going to keep growing across the continent. And not only is that it's going to be keep growing, they have natural resources that can help trade with the West, they have you know beautiful tour like uh, coastlines and touristic areas like the Serengeti that people would love to go to, and I think this them joining will help the development and will just be you know better off for the world. Yep, and I think they'd be a perfect just overall support for the international uh, international economy and a, an important part of globalization because now we have these countries, both Western and Eastern countries in one forum that now have the African union and they could use not like, I, I don't want to use it in a term where we just use the African union for the resources, but have them in the discussion to say, Hey, listen, we understand that you have not been part of these talks internationally. We want to include you more. Here's what we can do. We can help you sustainably develop. We can create 
cities, we can create whatever you need. And in return, you give us uh, resources and we'll all uh, come together economically. And this is a fantastic opportunity for the African Union to sell all their um, resources. I mean, they have so much untapped resources that the world that the world needs. And they could be one of the most important uh, suppliers for the international stage. And I think this is very, very important. And India has been the most ecstatic about having the African Union, primarily because they are hosting the next G20 as well. And I and I believe I've read that, sorry, that India does want to make the African Union discussion one of the top priorities on the agenda uh, for the next G20 summit. So I'm pretty excited to to see that. Yeah, that'll that'll be definitely interesting. And, and for Africa, this is a big leap to the future because they have been obviously for centuries colonized and slaved away you know for centuries and now the west and the rest of the world is trying to involve them into this new world and global economy and i think this shift will be just important not just for the african union but for the world now let's get into some of the things that could be like difficult now like some obstacles that might happen with joining the g20 um, I'm not truly sure on how, you know, the G20 completely works, but I'm going to assume that they have to have all the countries have to be on board with the African Union joining. And so what what do you think are some maybe obstacles that the African Union might face in terms of having countries putting a bid up for them? I think that's an excellent question. I think the first thing that would come up in having the African Union join the G20. The first thing that comes to my mind is dealing with all the all the conflict that goes on in yeah. different uh, countries. We have how many civil wars? We have one in Sudan. We have one in oh, what is the, the DRC? One? DRC, that's what it is. So yeah, these are these are the first two things that come up to my mind when I think of challenges. Is like okay. We, we have you here, right? We, we're glad that you're here to support us economically, but how can we support you as the West and Eastern countries talk to the African Union, right? How can we support you and give you our, some of our resources in fear of all the, all the conflict they have on the ground? So that's, yeah. that's my first concern and the first thing that these, these countries in G20 are first going to state to them. Yeah, my, my second concern is also along lines of conflict, but this is starts the terrorism side. The rest of the world has seen like a, a stark decline in uh, terrorism within their countries, but Africa has not. The, the Horn is still one of the most dangerous places in the world to go to at the moment. Ethiopia, Somalia, you know, they are struggling to cope with the pirates and the terrorists. And then you have the, in Northern Africa, you have terrorists like Al Shabaab that are, you know, terrorizing communities, and then you have Sudan, who is backed by Al Shabaab. They are terrorizing their communities in the civil war, and the DRC has their civil war, like you mentioned. So that I think conflict is a great, it's a big obstacle, and it's an unfortunate obstacle. Um, and here's the thing, right? Sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, no, right? Yeah. Here's the thing: I don't want the conflict to be a point where it's like, okay, we can't have you in G20. I want it to be a point where it is where the African Union goes up to them and says, listen, we do have a problem within the African continent. 
what we're willing to do is exchange resources and you, and in return, you G20 countries support us in our fight against um, all this conflict. That's what I want the talk to be. I don't want the talk to be, listen, we understand you have conflict, but we can't have you here because of the conflict you have. I mean, look at, look at Russia still part of G20. Correct? Yep. If I'm not I mistaken. Agree. I, I believe they haven't been kicked out yet. They haven't been kicked out yet, but they've been kicked out of G8 and it's become G7 now. So Yeah. 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 Oh. It, it's it's a fascinating and an unfortunate circumstance that obviously that they're going to be thinking about. But I agree. I think one of the ways that can be an issue to solve this. Now, NATO has always been involved in Northern mm-hmm. Africa to try and stem the, uh, the, the terrorism within Northern Africa because it can spread to Europe. And so I think the African Union can also just come in and ask NATO, can you please take another step that can help us solve our crises? One, you know, NATO can go into Sudan and maybe try to help create more peace. And, and the United States has done so in recent days. They had they were with the ceasefire with March or April. They helped in with the ceasefire. And so that yeah. could be very useful Um to the African Union, if they can help with those conflicts, and and it doesn't just have to be NATO. They can ask for U.S. help. They can ask for United Kingdom help or French help, you know, on their own. But they do need help in some areas to stop terrorism and these civil wars. Correct. Yeah. Here's my other. Uh, here's my other concern, and I think it's, I think it's one of my last concerns. Right? There's only I only thought of conflict and bricks. Right? And here's the thing yeah. with bricks. Um, so the Western countries in G20 are going to be like, okay, we understand you want to join, but you have some African Union countries that are looking to join BRICS. I mean, recently, very recently, actually, Ethiopia, um, not, has not agreed to, but like has, what has formally considered, not formally, formally want to join the BRICS. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. along with a bunch of other African countries like Egypt and South Africa is already in it. So I fear, I fear that the West and the East are going to cause a division in G20 with the African Union joining because it's like, listen, we understand that you want to join BRICS, but how can, how can we work with each other here on the, this is the Western perspective, right? How can we work yeah. with each other here if you're seeking to work more with um, the East, right? And I hope this is not the case. I hope that the African Union going into G20 and making it G21 would serve as a bridge between the West and the East rather than creating division and splitting the African Union between support for the West or support for the East, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And, and- one of the biggest things is that the West looks at BRICS as a threat to Western civilization as we know it, to the Western world order. But, and obviously they should continue to monitor it. You have the likes of Russia and China in BRICS who have openly stated that they want to, you know, to disrupt Western order. But they shouldn't look at it like that because, first off, BRICS doesn't have the power yet. And two, if these countries want to join BRICS, it could change how China and Russia view wanting to take down the West. And if they let them join the G20, then not only are they tied with BRICS, they're tied with the G20. So that automatically ties them with the West, and they're not going to want to break off those ties. 
So mm-hmm. they shouldn't have that as like the, you know, don't join BRICS if you're going to join D20. Just let them do both. They're sovereign states. They have the ability to choose to do both. And then here's the thing. Then if China comes in and says, oh, don't you can't join G20 if you're going to join BRICS, that's when you can create the ultimatum. But for like if China doesn't say that, China is part of G20. So just leave them. Let, and BRICS. They should just leave them be. Yeah, and BRICS. Exactly. So just leave so, them be. Yep. Yep. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I hope that in the next G20 summit that we we do have this discussion. Um, there's a lot. Even the West is very pro having the AU join, and I think this is this is very important. And by bridging the gap, I want to go back to talking about bridging the gap. What yeah. I what I'm visioning right is let's say there is a sustainable development talk. The African Union is already in there hypothetically. Let's say right, it's the G21 now. Yeah. The West and the East are trying to compete economically. And then you have the African Union supplying both sides because they uh, – because at the end of the day, it's all about – unfortunately, we're, we're, the or the globalization is still dominated by national self-interest. At the end of the day, the African Union will still supply to both sides because they need the money to develop internally as well, which, yes, it is also a game of self-interest. But at the end of the day, now you have resources going to the West. You have resources going to the East. Money's flowing into the African Union. And you have a trilateral, just trilateral region just growing sustainably. They're developing. Their infrastructure is growing. So that's that's how I my goal, well, I hope it's what their goal is. That's how I envision it. And I just hope it's that way. Um, but... Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think one of the, one of the things that Africa can be is like the stepping stone that can bridge the gap between the East and the West, like you said, because they're going to each side's going to both want to, and has shown that they they want to have their resources within Africa, and I think Africa can leverage what they have in trade deals to try to kind of integrate the economies of the West and the East even more of the U.S.s and the China's even more so that conflict first off doesn't break out and two it benefits Africa I mean Africa selling their resources creating new trade deals tapping into western and eastern markets is only going to grow their economies it's only going to strengthen their institutions their politics and so that is only going to benefit them at the end of the day and I think Africa can be those leaders um, right. that bridge that gap um, and, and, uh, and the Middle East as well I mean talk about if those two paired up together i mean you have the arab part of northern africa that can bring in the middle east and create a new massive trade block that can bridge the gap between the east and the western world now that you mentioned that i i'm, I'm imagining now just ha- just the g20 just expanding overall in general and just become a big multinational economic partnership yeah, that, and, and that's, it makes, that's what I'm envisioning now. Now that you bring up the whole Middle East stuff now, and it's like, well, it's a fair point. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder why the UN can't just figure this out. Because, I mean, if you look at it, the, you got the Middle East in there. You have all of Africa, all of Asia, all of the West. Basically. You, have the, you have the entire world. The entire world. And they can't figure out how to bridge this gap and, and create a society that's together. And that's not in, – in some cases, that's not completely true. You know, climate change, the world is behind climate change. You know, AI and education, the world is behind that. 
But in terms of economics, I mean, it, it's West versus East, East always, always. And so I think the G20 can be that that economic bridge and the Middle East could be the economic bridge in Africa uh, between the West and East. I mean, what the United Nations could do is they could put out a resolution in the General Assembly. It doesn't even have to be a resolution of doing something. It could be affirming something because there's a lot of resolutions that do affirm something. So if they affirm yeah. that or they or the United Nations is pro wanting to see more African involvement in the G20 and with and or saying like, listen, we want the African Union to be the ones to bridge the economic gap between the West and the East. I think that would be a ticket into making G21 happen. I think that that is just like, just it, it'll it'll do it. It'll just put a stamp on it and say, let's do it. Yeah, that it, it could be. I, I I just hope this happens. I hope that they accept every country in the G20 accepts this bid because the next steps for the world, um, especially in the post, the hopeful post Russia Ukraine conflict is going to be economics. And I think that if Africa is able to join the G20, the economies of the world will boom and we'll be able to rebuild the likes of Ukraine much quicker and then have a more integrated society that can hopefully condemn the likes of Russia of being an aggression, of being an aggressor. You know, later on down the world, there's something uh, down the line if that happens again because the economies of the world are so integrated. Uh, post the G20, the African Union joining the G20. Uh, okay, I see. I, I I understand where you're going with this. I was thinking, yeah. I was like, oh, this, this is a fantastic point because now we have G21 as the creation of, I mean, it, it's kind of like modeling what the US and China are, economically interdependent. Now, if we do that yeah. on a global scale instead of bilateral, then we might not, I mean, th- hypothetically, not even hypothetically, but in my opinion, the reason the U.S. and China haven't been at war is because of economics. That is just my yeah. that's my hot take of the day. It's because of economics. As soon as they go to war, the world collapses. Now, what we can do is we can create that sort of economic deterrence the way we have with um, nuclear deterrence or just overall like boots on the ground deterrence. Where if we go to war, we're gonna there's gonna be destruction. There's gonna be killings. But if we have that economically, where we have economic interdependence, as you were saying, now we're saying, listen, we're going to do this. But if we split off, there's going to be a lot of hungry people and very angry people. Yeah, exactly. You know, Russia's not going to want to join Ukraine if the world economy is going or invade Ukraine if the world economy is going to crumble. Uh, One of the reasons. It almost did. It almost did. Like, just just look. It almost did. But yeah. I mean, realistically, Ukraine, unfortunately, is really not as integrated to the world uh, as let's as like if, if they went to Poland, if they went into because if you go into Poland, obviously Article Five is triggered of NATO, and and Russia isn't as economically integrated into the rest of the world either. They they have their oil business, of course, being supplied to most of Europe, and their wheat being supplied to most of Europe. But like, I mean. When is the last time you heard of a Russian financial institution within the U.S. or within the rest of Europe? It, it, you don't really hear about it. So yeah, it probably isn't, to be completely honest. So that is the biggest difference. But if you change that, um, 
that that likelihood is going to go down significantly, uh, as we've seen between the U.S. and China. I mean, they, they they're not going to conflict. They they know they know the minute a shot is fired, every stock exchange in the world is going to be completely empty. No more cash. Yeah, destroyed. They know that, so they're never yeah. going to do it. So. We'll see when the next uh, in the next G20 summit um, and see yeah. where this African Union talk is going. But um, if you have nothing else to add, Josh, um, yeah. would you like to move on to the Wagner Group stuff? Speaking of Russia, the <laughs> Wagner Group coup, what could have been the destruction of what we know as the East besides China of Russia – uh, was not as much as we thought, you know, for about three hours on the, what was it? The 27th of, uh, it was the 24th, the 24th of yeah. June 24th. for about, yeah. yeah, for about three hours. We thought that the war in Ukraine was going to come to a whole, or there's going to be a massive civil war. Uh, but most intense three hours of my life. Yeah, that was. I, that was crazy. I don't even know what I was doing that day. I think I was watching a movie with my dad, and then the next thing you know, um, Gabe was texting in the group chat about the the Wagner mutiny, and I'm like, what? And I and I was just sitting there monitoring. Like I had 50 tabs open. I had the news open on my TV. It, it was it was such an intense three hours of my life. I know it was a Saturday. And yeah, it was my brother, my brother's birthday, and I was like, "Oh, the the war's gonna end soon." I was telling everybody, <laughs> "I was like, the war's gonna end soon." Like the group is two hundred kilometers from Russia, and then I look at it like two hours later, and Wagner Group like, tro- troops stand down. It's like, okay, that's crazy. <laughs> Which is, it, it, it's really fascinating because you know what what ha- like if you look at the events that led up to it, Wagner Group has been you know the uh, part of basically Russian. I'm going to use espionage as the term because they're not really they're not affiliate they're not affiliated with Russia, but yes, they're affiliated with Russia. You know the whole the whole shebang with PMCs, and they've been <laughs> doing a lot of the dirty work in Syria, a lot of the dirty work in North Africa, and now a lot of the dirty work in Ukraine. And then, for some reason, uh, what's what's the leader of the the group's name? I can't I can never say. Uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Yeah, I, I can never say his name correctly, Prigozhin, and he was like. Yeah, all right. You're gonna you you're. We called Putin. He said something about Putin being a dictator along those lines, basically. I have Putin. I have the exact oh, thing that he said. Please, please um, he basically called them. Oh man, I just had it. they um, they called them unable. Oh, they they called them evil, and they needed to be stopped. Um, the, the word for word, yes. translated from Russian to. So basically, Yevgeny said, "All right, these guys are corrupt. They're evil. They're not the Russia that we we as Wagner Group imagine. Um, they're just a bunch of oligarchs that kind of run the country." Um, so these were very strong words from Prigozhin, and I can imagine just the sweat coming down off of the the top military generals and oligarchs of Russia. They're like, "Oh my goodness, what?" Yeah. Well, and, and, and here's the funny thing: like they did the. the Putin did the stupidest thing ever. He didn't. He sent in a strike in a helicopter and missed. He completely <laughs> missed Wagner headquarters and, and, and wherever wherever he was, Yevgeny, uh, wherever he was, they completely missed. And it was then somewhere on off. the M4 highway. Um, yeah, on somewhere. Their way. 
wasn't on. It wasn't in Rostavadon. It was somewhere on the highway where they missed. Yeah, completely missed. And and so you pissed off fifty thousand troops, uh, who are that's former what they Russian troops. That they had. That's what they claimed they had, but they had five thousand troops, Wagner troops, marching towards, um, to Moscow. But they said, Prigozhin said, we have another twenty-five to fifty thousand more on standby. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's like you get so close. Why did you stop? Well, apparently, Belarusian president uh, struck a deal with Wagner. How I don't know. I don't know what he said. We still don't uh, no know one what knows he what said. the contents of the deals is. No one knows what what was said. What what all we know is that Prigozhin is um, free to stay in Belarus, and he's he basically Prigozhin can't go back to Russia. Yeah. Um, he we is. Don't even know what Putin said either, right? Like I I haven't seen anything about what Putin said. Putin said he's going to continue um, looking into charges um, and punishing Wagner. For their mutiny, if I'm not mistaken, I know yeah. I read that somewhere. But no, so he, there's he's still investigating. Yeah, they still. Oh yeah, yeah. Vladimir Putin. This is this is BBC headline. Vladimir Putin says Wagner mutiny leaders will be brought to justice. So they're still seeking charges, even though what was it? Uh, Russian FSB. Um, they they first charged them with treason, and then they yeah. dropped the charges. And then Putin is like, no, 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 no. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep. We're going to keep charging them. So, Yeah. And, and here's the thing. He not only – so Ragnar, Wagner troops are pissed at, at, at Yevgeny for, for obviously dropping the coup. And now by doing this, he's going to piss them off even more. I'm going to quote you a uh, PMC soldier, uh, what he said. Uh, the bald waste of space destroyed <laughs> Wagner PMC with his own hands. This is just one quote that I wrote down of, I think about 20 from 20 different soldiers uh, talking about Yevgeny. This one was my favorite. So obviously I think the bald waste of space is hilarious, but (laughs) the Wagner group soldiers, they're pissed off that they stopped because they were all ready to go to Russia. Um, One of the, one of my, one of my fears was that Putin was like, dude, you come any closer. Like I'm going to bomb Every single one you have, like I don't know what kind of bombs he was going to use. Whether right? he threatened nuclear secure, like something, I don't know what he threatened, but he threatened something for him to stop. And they were very pissed um, about it because apparently what happened was when they were rolling through the streets and rolling over the barricades, the Russian soldiers just like stopped. <laughs> they just like did not that's, do anything. That's how Wagner took over Rostovendon. They didn't fire anything. They just kind of went in there and occupied it. Yeah, and just had a couple of conversations. Like apparently, apparently, like the when they were the, the closest they got, the two hundred kilometers out of Moscow, like Wagner soldiers and Russian soldiers and, and and civilians were just like walking around and having conversations about what's going on. Like it was like they just stood down and did nothing. Somehow, some way, Putin and the Belarusian president convinced him not to keep going, even though he basically had a free path to Moscow. I want to know the contents of this deal. Like, I, I got to figure this out now. It's like bugging me. Money. I think it's just yeah, like, money. Clearly, it's money. I mean, uh, let's, here's, here's a good statistic for you. Uh, Russia gave the amount of over $2 billion to the Wagner Group in the last year for military supplies and food. 
over the last year to help out in the Ukraine situation. So if they right. can offer you $2 billion, what else the are they offering? And here's the thing, right? Prigozhin stated once, and part of the reason why they were on their march to Moscow was because that uh, Prigozhin has also called out Russian military generals for their inability to provide resources for Wagner uh, during during the current war. So yeah. that was also, which $2 billion to fund PMCs is, and I don't know how that's not enough. Um, 50,000 troops too. That's not, if, if those are correct numbers, you know, it's still not a lot to, to uh, 50,000 troops is not a lot for $2 billion to cover materials and, and food. food weapons. And some of the weapons, it's not like they're, they're outsourcing them. It's, kind of Russia just just giving them weapons they need and just paying them to to march forward. Yeah. And and so this it it it, it confuses me. Here here's another thought that I came up in my head. What if Putin threatens nuclear war not in Russia but the the, the nuke Ukraine and then and then the west, the west paid him off. Think about it like that. The west, the west Russia, Putin threatened nuclear war to the West. He was going to drop nuclear bombs in Ukraine or, or drop nuclear bombs somewhere in mm-hmm. Eastern in Eastern uh, Europe, and then the West paid him off. This is a this is a you know a, this is not I don't know if this happened. This is a bold claim, but very bold. <laughs> but let's let's think about it. I th- there, there are many reports that the West were the ones that paid the Wagner Group to go you know, give them the intel to go in because there, there's many different articles stating that they had been planning uh, for weeks to do this. And then it was supposed to happen a few weeks later, but their plans got foiled by Russian intelligence. So he just went in. And mm-hmm. this this was reported all at like Reuters, New York Times, like like the, the U.S. government. This is everywhere that they were reporting this. And so it was a premature invasion or uh yeah i'll I'll use the term invasion so what if it was the west that paid him off and said hey like i don't know if you want nuclear war that is that is a bold statement and i'm not going to rule out the possibility that the west or uh, i'm just going to say the united states in this case would probably be the ones to do something like this i'm not going to rule that possibility out but I'm also not going to to say that this was the case. I think this was just Wagner Group fed up with Russia since 2014, since yeah. in Syria, up until now. I think it's Wagner Group has been a part of Russia's uh, Russian military for so long that they're finally seeing that Russia, Russian leadership, is pretty much evil. And they've been blindsided by money. So they've just been paid and so what? And they're like, oh, okay, just pay us and we'll look the other way. We'll do what you want. I think this is this has been the first signs of cracks within the leadership. And Wagner Group responding saying, listen, this is not it. This is not the Russia we want. We'll fight for the – they're still evil. Wagner is still evil. They will still go into – they still have the, the same perspectives as Russian leaders, right? But they don't yes. believe in the leaders themselves. They believe they're corrupt, they're evil, and they're not for the people. Yes. Wagner said they're going to storm Moscow for the people, for the for the motherland they know. Um, 
So that's 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 what I personally think. Um, what to go back to your thing? I think that had they kept going forward, I think the United States would have stepped in discreetly and would have funded them and turned them from a mercenary group into a rebel group within Russia. Yeah, and I think like the like what you were saying before, that's the likely case because Wagner Group fed up with Russian, you know. Aggression with all, all everything that's happened since Crimea in 2014, uh, the fact that they're not getting paid enough, the fact that they're, you know, the rush that the Russians are losing the war despite Wagner Group being a part of the war effort, and, and, and it just it makes the most sense that they just wanted to you know take their country back. But you know what happened with the deal? Who knows? The next part we have to get into is Putin. Does he have full control over Russia post this, basically, I mean, rebellion that was going to topple their government? This this has been the topic of debate for diplomats, politicians, everywhere. Is that they're questioning how... It, it, they're questioning Putin's handle on Russia, and I think that I believe that it's it's starting to crack. That Putin held on too tightly, and now it's now it's crumbling within his own fist. And that is going to be, and this kind of ties into what I wanted to talk about uh, after this, right? Which is, will there be another coup or another sort of rebellion within? And I think that. Wagner group will be like the, the Wagner incident will be the start of more um, inner rebellions within Putin's circle, because I think even the people within Putin, uh, Putin's inner circle are starting to be fed up with what's going on. And I think that Putin is starting to lose his grip on Russia. And I believe that this is only the start. So to answer your question, yes, I think yes. this is the beginning of Putin's um, downfall. Uh, and I would 100% agree. Now, some some people are going to disagree with them be- with, with with this point because Putin has full control of the oligarchs. But but recently, CIA and intelligence and Putin has stated that he is going to do everything he can to get the oligarchs back on his side. And if Putin said this himself, means that the oligarchs are basically afraid that his his leadership is cracking. And, and the fact that a group, a military group, can get that close to Moscow, 200 kilometers from the, the outer city of Moscow, that means that – and the fact that Russian soldiers didn't even attempt to stop, it just means that his power is, is dwindling. And I think with Western countries and the rest of the world seeing this, they're going to go in there and try and fund rebel groups. They're going to try and – whoever took control of Wagner Group, they're going to tell them, do it again. Please, like go pack in. We'll help. We'll fund you. We'll, we'll, we'll create rebel groups for you. We'll, we'll make sure that you are protected and that you can get the job done. And I, I think that the people are going to start rebelling. Um, he, he had the other day, he squashed an entire protest of like 
I think it was like 40,000 people in Moscow, Russian soldiers, troops had to squash a protest. So it's the start of a coup and an uprising. And Russia might might fall in the next next year. So. That's 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 my estimate too. Is within the year, a next the next year, I think. Uh, hopefully, by my my estimate has been and will always be by that the Ukraine war, the war in Ukraine will end by the end of this year, and if yeah. not this year, it's either going to end, and if it doesn't end this year, then it's going to end by Putin falling as a leader. That's that's the only way, and I think yeah. we're going to see a big um. What's the word that I want? Inflection point? Inflection? Civil war? Inflection? I don't know. No, there's a specific word. Anyways, but I don't think it's going to be... Um, I don't think it's going to be a full-fledged civil war. I think it's just going to be a big just protest, a big movement, large enough where he has his people, his own military, oligarchs, his leadership just saying, listen, we've had enough of this. Too many of us are dying. These sanctions are choking us. I think it's time for you to leave. And I think it's yeah. going to end in that manner. I think Putin is just going to have to forcefully step down. I don't think it's going to end in a big conflict within Russia. I think that opposition is only brewing. And there's only so much he can silence until the opposition will grow larger than his chokehold on the opposition. Yeah, I agree. And the, the the next question begged is like, what is next for the West? What does the West do in this, in my opinion, inevitable downfall of Russia? What does the West do? What does China do to step in and prevent an entire economy from collapsing completely? I think what the West should do is not go in there without China. I think the West should go to China first discreetly and say, listen, there we've seen what happened with Wagner. Something is going to happen soon that's going to affect me and you and our regional security. Now, I'm not saying that, like, we go in there together. I'm saying that, like, the West and China are going to start a discreet program. Well, this is what I think they should do, right? is discreetly work on, but see, even then, uh, would China be willingly open to, um, willingly open mm. to kind of take the charge against Putin? But I, th- what yeah. I think the West would do is talk to China first and come together yeah. and say, listen, look what's happening in Russia and just hear out what they, ha- what China has to say about the stability of Russia. And if both come to a conclusion that, listen, Russia is going to be unstable, then they should step in and have a discussion with Putin. Because now you have the entirety of the West. You have China, which is some say are formal allies. Some say are informal allies. I'm just going to say ally of Russia in this case. Yeah. And and they should all just say, listen, this is this is not it like. I would agree. And I think the West needs to talk to China and create a plan. Um, I think most most any kind of political scientist or, or, or uh, analyst is going to say that China or that Russia is going to fall within 
Um, it le- I, I, I'm going to say the next year, that's my thing. But I think Putin regime, at least in the next five years, is going to crumble. And the West and needs to create a, a, a step-by-step plan on how they're going to deal with potential uprisings, with coups, with civil wars, with planning elections, uh, you know, uh, you know, revitalizing oligarchs or taking oligarch money. They had to create a plan to make sure that Russia, post Putin's fall, that they can deal with what can happen. All the certain possibilities, planting a leader, restabilizing their economy, you know, restabilizing politics, getting the oligarchs' hands out of their politics so it's not all money-based politics. Yep. That has to be the Western's plan. And and I fully and I fully agree with that. And I think that that will happen. I hope it happens, but yeah, I hope it happens because we're not really good at that stuff. Uh, <laughs> we are not no. coming up with plans. Maybe this Over might be in G twenty. It could be. It could be. Yeah, I mean, because India India has a big stake in Russian oil. Europe has a massive their, their entire economy or their entire energy sector is based on Russian natural gas and oil. So. Right. That'll be huge to make sure that, that Europe isn't destabilized because of the civil war and, and India. So that could be a big talk for them. Yep. Yeah. So I don't have anything else to to add on this. I think we kind of hit everything we wanted to talk about. Yeah, I agree. This this is an interesting one. I mean, the the it shows two two different contrasting sides. You know, with with, with Germany, we want to 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 integrate all economies into our world to make sure that we have a fully society, but then we have what's going on in Russia right now. And what can happen if one of the largest economies in the world collapses and there's a new regime and how we can change the world post Russia, Ukraine war. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of moving parts in today's worlds that, that can either you know, advance society or, or destabilize it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So Cool. Um, thank you all for listening in onto this uh, this week's latest global developments, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Yeah.